What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Will Clemente is a finance major at East Carolina University. He has quickly become one of my favorite writers on all things Bitcoin, including deep dives on various on-chain analytics. You can subscribe to Will's new email newsletter by following him on Twitter. In this conversation, we discuss the Bitcoin fundamentals, on-chain metrics, minor accumulation, all-time high and an important metric, and what Will's guess for a bull market top is. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Will. I really enjoy doing them every single week. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Stacks. Miami Coin, the first city coin, is now live. Mining began on August 3rd, and the community has already generated over a million dollars of protocol contributions reserved for the city of Miami. As mining continues, these contributions are increasing every single day. The city can claim these funds at any time, and Miami Mayor Suarez has shown strong support for the project. This is big for Miami. Remember, this is a community-launched program built on top of Bitcoin, and it's far more than a currency. Miami Coin is a protocol and a platform for innovation. So the City Coins team is announcing something pretty cool. Miami Coin Makers Month is bringing together hackers, designers, and creators who are passionate about creating apps to benefit the city of Miami. They've got $25,000 in total prizes that will be awarded to developers who build the winning apps. And the winners will be announced by Ryan Hoover, founder of Product Hunt, and bored Elon Musk, everyone's favorite pseudonymous Twitter inventor and blockchain enthusiast. You can go to miamimakers.co to learn more and sign up to take part. Again, go to miamimakers.co to learn more and sign up to take part in this remote week. miamimakers.co Next up, is Mask Network. They're the portal to the new internet that connects mainstream web 2.0 social media with the open decentralized web three. Through our browser extension, users can get a glimpse to the decentralized application world. You can easily share and make borderless cryptocurrency transfers, decentralized file storage, and display and trade NFTs. You can also participate in various DeFi projects and vote on governance proposals. Do everything in a Web3 way, but on top of Web2. It's an interoperability between Web2 and Web3. Go visit them at mask.io slash pomp to start exploring. Again, it's a portal to a new internet that's built on top of Web2, but it allows you to experience the open decentralized Web3. Go visit it at mask.io slash pomp to start exploring it today. Let me know what you think. You can tweet at me about it. Last but not least is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions all on the blockchain. You can choose from a variety of markets, like will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. have more than 100,000 COVID cases before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $100 million traded in its first year, Polymarket is the go-to platform to settle the biggest debates of the day. Think you know more than the market? Trade on your beliefs and earn a return if you're right. Do you want tomorrow's news today? Use Polymarket to see real-time data on what the market thinks will happen. No fake news, no pundits without skin in the game. So head over to polymarket.com and make an account today. For a limited time, sign up with the referral code POMP to get your first trade reimbursed up to 100 bucks. That's right. If you go to polymarket.co today 
and you sign up using referral code POMP, they'll reimburse you your entire first trade up to $100. Go to the description and you can also click on the link at polymarket.co slash pod as well. Go to polymarket.co, use code POMP, you get reimbursed for that first trade up to $100, bucks. no brainer. All right, let's get into this episode with Will. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Will, what's up? Hey guys, sorry, I have myself muted. What's going on? Not much. How are you? Good, good. Uh, first week of class this week, pretty much just a uh, syllabus week. So didn't do much, but uh, hanging in there with, with the school stuff. But other than that, man, interesting week in uh, Bitcoin. So ready to get into it. We're going to get into Bitcoin, but we want a school update first. We saw a tweet where you were in class and they were teaching you about a 60-40 portfolio uh, and you were laughing. What was going on? It was, you know, I was cringing inside. It was, it was tough uh, to sit through that, you know, learning about, uh, you know, allocating, allocating your money to negative yielding bonds isn't really exciting to me. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. I, at least I'm enjoying my history class. <laughs> All right, let's jump into on-chain metrics. First up is we have the total supply held by long-term holders. What's going on here? Yeah. So, um, you know, last week and, and following this week, we've reached new all-time highs in uh, the amount of Bitcoin that long-term holders possess, um, you know, which is obviously a, a really good sign because long-term holders historically kind of set the floor. Um, you know, w- when you look at this as just a percentage of circulating supply, um, it's about 68%, 67.7, if you want to be exact. Um, and then when you use, uh, instead of circulating supply as the denominator, if you use adjusted supply, which is factoring out lost coins. Um, and so just for listeners, Glassnode just uses a, a seven year threshold. So over that, they consider those coins lost. Um, and so using that as the denominator, you're looking at 84 and a half percent of adjusted supply. Uh, but yeah, so point is, um, you know, long-term holders are, are buying like crazy here. Um, not only that, but they're also, um, we're also seeing short-term holders aging past that, co- uh, that 155 day threshold. Um, and that's that's shown by by hodl waves. So what you see is that um, in the, the smaller portions, the younger portions of, of coins. So, you know, when you look at um, you know, below six months, those are going down while you're starting to see a larger portion go into those, uh, you know, three to six month, uh, six to 12 month, one to two year uh, cohorts. So you're starting to see not only just uh, long-term holders buying here, but also, you know, the investors, the entities that came on the network, you know, you know, three to three, six months ago are now starting to age into that long-term cohort. Um, so the combination of both of those things is why you're seeing this new all-time high. Got it. And so when we start thinking about the short-term holder, long-term holder percentage, we're seeing basically <clears throat> the exact same thing, right? I'm sorry. What'd you say? They kind of cut off there, dude. The short-term holder, long-term holder percentage is basically the exact same thing? Yeah, exactly. It's just, um, you know, looking at the, the percentage of supply held by, by long-term holders, both in terms of circulating supply and the adjusted supply. All right. And so we've got the realized cap hodl waves. Explain to everyone what this is and then what are you seeing in the actual numbers? Yeah, th- this is just sh- illustrating that not only is it long-term holders that are buying that's contributing to the to the increase in their, in their supply, but also cohorts that are aging into that 155-day threshold. And so you can see that here with the hodl waves that 
you know, the smaller, the smaller, um, or I should say younger cohorts are, are going down while the, the older ones are moving up. So you're seeing the, the aging of those coins into the upper threshold. So for example, you know, a coin in the, in the one week to one month threshold is, is not moved. So now it's moving into the one month to three month and et cetera. So you're starting to see strong maturation, which is a good sign. People are coming on the network, buying their coins and holding them strong. Spent output age bands. Yeah, th- this is just looking at um, you know, different different cohorts of age and the amount, of, the percentage of, of outputs that that came from that specific cohort. If that makes sense. So what what I have been looking for uh, is, you know, are these long term holders taking exit liquidity? That would be concerning to me. And we did actually get a, a spike up to like eighteen and point seven five percent. You know, that seems to kind of have been a one off thing. Uh, and, that, and that spike was really in, in three to five year holders and, and two to three years as well. Um, but since then, that, that's cooled off now that, you know, we're back down to 3.4% as of, as of yesterday. So uh, it seems like so far that 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 was just, you know, a, a one-off thing that some of these longer term holders were, were briefly taking profits. But just watching this closely to see if, you know, uh, if, if this kind of becomes a trend. Um, on Tuesday, I sent out a, uh, a newsletter and I basically just said, hey, look, you know, I'm feeling kind of cautious here when we had this, you know, failed breakout above 50K, kind of got rejected there. Um, that in confluence with seeing some coins coming out to exchanges, uh, a drop in a liquid supply, and then also some of this uh, selling from longer term holders kind of taking profits on into the rally, which isn't completely unexpected. Um, I was I was kind of suspecting we saw some, some short term, uh, you know, price correction. Uh, and, and we did go down to about, you know, whatever, 46, 300, but um, it seems like we kind of found a local bottom there. I tweeted something out about that yesterday, but now today it seems like uh, Jay Powell has kind of given us the juice uh, to, to maybe start heading back upwards. Um, we're also seeing a, a tick back up in um, both the exchange flows. So coins are moving back out of exchanges again. Um, and then also the, the liquid supply has moved back up. So um, kind of the, the concerns that I had there and in the letter I sent out Tuesday have, have kind of been alleviated. The entity adjusted ASOL uh, seems to be showing a pretty rapid recovery as well uh, last couple of days. Yeah, this is very similar to the spin output age bands. It's looking at, once again, like the average age of the coins being sold. And so what you don't want to see here is what, you know, if you look back at uh, late 2017, early 2018, you see that big spike after all-time highs when, when we started. It's a little off because it's a moving average, but that, that spike really came on the, on the dead cat bounce, which is actually a little bit to the right in the chart. Uh, but point is, you know, once again, you don't want to see everybody jump ship. It's not, you know, it's, it's completely expected to see people taking profits on the move up, um, but, you know, don't want to see everyone just sell out at once. Uh, and so, you know, you'll see all the way on the right hand of the screen, we're starting to get this move back up in ASOL, but, uh, you know, kind of just monitoring this day to day, want to make sure we don't see any massive move up in that to, to, that would tell me that, you know, everybody is abandoning ship kind of like late 2017. Got it. And so then when we start to look at, uh, things like the futures dominance, obviously this shows how much kind of leverage is in the system or is one indicator of that. Um, explain what you're seeing here. Yeah. So. Most people like to look at funding to say, okay, you know, funding is positive, so price has to go down. Funding's negative, so price has to go up. Like, I, I think there's a there's a little bit more nuance than that. Um, so, like, funding is slightly positive, which in theory, you know, when you have prolonged positive funding, that tends to be a bearish thing. When you have prolonged negative funding, that, that tends to be a bullish thing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean every time funding is positive, price is going to go down or vice versa. You know, we had 
like six months of prolonged positive funding uh, towards the, you know, late last year, early this year. Um, you know, there's several things here to kind of unpack. Like, firstly, funding is, although it is slightly positive, it's nowhere near where it was earlier this year at similar price levels. Um, also, you know, when you look at what, what you just mentioned about the open interest dominance, this is just comparing um, open interest to market cap and just taking like a, a basic ratio of that. And so when, when open interest really is insignificant compared to market cap, the odds of, of futures having a real effect on the price is is lower. Not to say that it's impossible that we get a squeeze, but I, I think the chances are a lot lower than, than many people are saying. Um, also, that the red line that that in the chart you just had popped up, that's the uh, the leverage ratio. So it's just looking at open interest compared to um, how many coins are on that specific exchange to kind of get a ballpark as to like how collateralized traders are. Uh, both of these things are still kind of mild. So. Um, I don't think we get any crazy, you know, uh, short or long squeezes. Got it. And then when we start to actually go into like net realized profit loss or a realized profit, realized loss, um, you've got this kind of four part chart. Uh, what, what exactly are you looking at here? What are you seeing? Yeah. So in the, in the top left, you have the net realized profit loss. So the difference between the two um, on the right and the top right, you've realized profits, bottom left, realized losses. And then bottom right is the percent of, of, of dresses that are in profit. So um, what I'm looking for is, you know, like we touched on earlier, it's, it's to be expected that you're going to see profits taken on the, on the way up. That's what happens in bull markets. Long-term holders distribute into strength. Um, but what I don't want to see is, is the overhead supply start to come onto the market. Um, and, and so, you know, we had this really large distribution zone between 50, 60 K and we chopped around for whatever two, three months before we moved, started moving down. Um, and what you don't want to see is that overhead supply start to come onto the market and add in additional sell pressure. So I'm watching realized losses to see if those coins from above are starting to, to move down here, um, which doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be mostly just realized profits, which is a good sign. Um, also the percentage of addresses and profit is, is kind of important because you know, the longer that the longer that the market stays below people's cost basis, the more likely they are to, to capitulate um, in theory. So the fact that we've gone up from 69 percent at the lows to 86 percent of addresses now in profit is, is a really good sign. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see continuation of that. And then like kind of on, on a similar note, looking at Soper, this is once again looking at the profit taking of coins. Um, we're back above the one threshold, which means the market's trading in a state of profit, which is once again, a really good thing. Um, and, and so this is the weekly version that I threw in the newsletter. But also, if you look at the daily version, um, we got a bounce off of one, uh, whatever, two days ago when we, when we had this little mini correction, uh, which is a good sign because it's showing that uh, investors aren't willing to sell at a loss. So kind of using those things in tandem. But SOPR is a good gauge to say, OK, like our, our investors, um, you know, are, are market participants willing to start selling at a loss? Do they want to get out of the market that bad? It doesn't seem like that so far because of the we've gotten a bounce off of one twice over the last two weeks. Got it. And then when you start to look at the transaction uh, volumes, I know that at one point you were a little worried because it seemed like the number of transactions was uh, trending downward. It seems like those are recovering. Um, like slightly, but I'm still a little concerned about it because it's it's pretty much just ghost town. I mean. We've gone off the lows that we were at like you know last month, but when you look at like the transaction fees, which is a good uh, kind of proxy for like uh, you know block space demand, that that's continues to move down. But the number of transactions and, and also the active addresses that this kind of moved up a little bit, but still nothing that that you know. The way I worded in the newsletter was we've had a big swing in price, but no ding yet in transaction activity. So. 
I, I want to see some follow through on that. Um, some people have been saying that it's because of all the, you know, all small uh, transactions are moving to Lightning Network, which is possible. But, um, you know, I think there, there's no real way to, to exactly quantify that. So it's hard to say. And then also, uh, we are seeing really strong hodling behavior. So, you know, it could partially have something to do with that. People just don't want to transact their BTC. And we're just seeing people, you know, buying and holding their coins. Like, when you think about the network, do you think of, you know, this, this is just a rhetorical question for listeners. Do you think of usage of the network as transactional activity or do you think of it as hodling, right? Um, I guess p- some people have different answers. Some people say it's a combination of both. Um, I personally think the Bitcoin networks, you know, considering usage of it w- would be hodling. And, and if you think of it that way, you're seeing usage of the network at all time highs. But if, if you are considering it uh, using using transactional information, then we are kind of in this uh, kind of stalemate ghost town where, you know, it is, it is a bit concerning to see and, and something you definitely kind of want to see pick up over the next couple of weeks if we get more price continuation. Makes sense. Exchange net position change basically how much bitcoins on the exchanges versus not what are you seeing yeah so we got another little dashboard four chart thing here uh top left like you said is is the net position change so looking at the 30-day change between a month ago today and now uh top right is just a raw balance on exchanges bottom left is a balance on coinbase bottom right is balance on binance and so what you see is that um exchange flows had gone kind of flat uh in the end then the newsletter last week um and the one i set out tuesday was suggesting caution was when we had started to see net inflows to exchanges um which once again suggested that people had started to take profits on the rally um and, and then uh, about two days ago we saw this down draw in in balance exchanges again and, and looking at the individual different exchanges uh, it looks like that that's coming from coinbase so you'll see in bottom left uh, that that drawdown in coinbase's balance um, I think it's roughly 30,000 coins, but don't quote me on the exact number. Uh, bottom rate is Binance. And what you see is that Binance uh, continues to increase in terms of how many coins are on the exchange. So, uh, you know, you're seeing it, what looks like selling from, from the east and then buying in the west. Uh, or also some people could could consider this kind of a, a way to gauge like, you know, people are moving coins onto Binance for speculative purposes because Binance has leverage and all kinds of, uh, you know, products that you can get you know, speculative leverage on anything. So you could see it that way as well. But generally, like when you you see a lot of selling in in, uh, Asian hours and then buying in in like the early morning uh, Eastern hours. So I I think that's probably more more of the explanation, but that's just kind of a theory. Got it. And then when you look at minor profitability as the last thing here, what are you seeing on that? Yeah, so, you know, we just had this difficulty adjustment. And so when you have more hash coming on the network, which by the way, is, is slowly recovering, um, nowhere near where, where it was a few months ago, but you know, it's, it's, it's been uh, recovering, you know, slowly grinding up. Um, when you have a, when you have a difficulty adjustment, uh, the miners that are still, you know, that are on the network, uh, they become less profitable. Um, so, so what you see is in, in this uh, green line, that that's the revenue in, in Bitcoin terms per hash. And so after the difficulty adjustment, uh, whatever, two days ago, um, you saw a, a drop down in that. But yeah, ha- hash is coming back up, which is a good sign as well. Got it. And, and so like this, you know, it makes sense why miners have been holding their coins because they've been more profitable lately, right? Uh, and so I- I'm curious if maybe we start to see a little bit of, of miners trimming their holdings because they'll be less profitable over the coming weeks, but they still are way more profitable than they were even two months ago. But, you know, as, as that hash starts to come back on, you know, the miners are competing more so for, for the same amount of block reward, then you're going to see that the revenue uh, per hash go down. 
If you had to kind of summarize how you're feeling right now, bearish, neutral, bullish, how, how do you think of yourself right now? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm leaning kind of neutral to, to bullish because we had a, an uptick in uh, the liquid supply shock ratio. And then also, um, like I mentioned, some of those coins moving back off of Coinbase, which sometimes uh, it can take a few days for their heuristics to update. So wouldn't be like 100% solidified on that. But over the next couple of days, we'll get confirmation to see if it sticks or if you know that trend continues. But as of right now, I, I'm, I'm leaning you know, at least short term uh, bullish for sure. Uh, just the only thing that's really concerning me is, is the transactional activity. Um, you know, it is, it is really low relative to, to what you re- usually see in, in a bull market, but some people say perhaps, you know, that's just like a, uh, um, you know, a following factor, a, um, you know, it, you see the price increase and, and then the transactional activity follows, but we did just have a big move over the last couple of weeks. So I, I would be expecting, um, you know, more follow through in that. So something definitely to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks. Got it. Joe, John, you guys got any questions? Yeah, I guess, well, my question would be around uh, just some of the metrics that you you look at, right? And I think uh, most people expect kind of based off of your uh, evidence that you presented on chain and some of the other stuff going around that the price is going to appreciate here uh, over the next few months. Uh, some people think more rapidly than others, but I think everyone kind of generally understands that's invested that it's going to appreciate. Do the metrics change and like what metrics do you look at as we start accelerating and as we start getting uh, the price starts accelerating towards 100 and all these other numbers? Do those change or do you look at the same metrics? No, yeah, it's, it's a great question. Like the way I think about it is, um, you know, on-chain is just a toolbox. And so, you know, for different circumstances, you use different metrics. Um, you know, for example, like, you know, Two months ago, I was looking really heavily at what miners were doing because of the, the Chinese miner migration, and uh, we had really low volume, so you know uh, it, it didn't take as much sell pressure to move the market at the time. So, seeing some of that sell pressure for miners, in my opinion, uh, contributed to some of the, the downward price uh, pressure that we had. So, like you know, when we get back into a raging bull market, I'm not going to be looking at what miners are doing as much because that that sell pressure pretty much just becomes insignificant compared to even like the exchange fees that are being sold onto the market. Although uh, Brian Armstrong uh, did say they're going to put 10% of their, their profits into, into buying crypto. So that's a good thing. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I would be looking for, um, you know, w- what's going on in the futures market. I think like in, for short-term price movements, that, that'll become uh, more prevalent as we probably move up for now. I think like the futures market is probably just, just remaining cautious until we get that, you know, uh, a solidified move perhaps over 50k or over the, like the one trillion dollar threshold or whatever uh, these traders are looking at um, but for now it looks like the market's mostly spot driven uh, as, as we kind of looked at like the oi dominance so that would be one of the things i'd be looking at as, as leverage starts to come back in if, if we get a price move up uh because that'll that'll play a bigger role in, in kind of the the market structure john will did you say 85 percent of the coins are held by whales or bigger entities uh, so yeah, so eighty. It's eighty-four and a half. Uh, I just have to be a smartass uh, because of uh, when you're looking at the adjusted supply. But when you're just looking at circulating supply, it's sixty-seven point seven. Okay. Um, but either way, you want to cut it. I mean, they they the long-term holders own a very large portion of supply. Uh, when you're talking about whales, it, that's another interesting conversation. Like when you plot this out over time, what you see is that whales distribute their coins throughout the coin's history, while retail as a percentage of overall supply increase their holdings. Um, and so, you know, if you had some theoretical Gini coefficient for Bitcoin, it would be moving in a positive direction because you're having that healthy supply distribution over time. Well, where are we going, man? What do you think <laughs> happens to the rest of the year? Are you still uh, 
pretty bullish on a uh, much much higher price. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm still uh, after this after the data updated last night. Um, I'm no longer you know short term bearish. I'm, I'm leaning more neutral to bullish over the next week or two. Um, you know, technicals. It looks like we're, we're perhaps setting up for a volatility squeeze here in in that kind of same time frame as well. So, um, you know, looking for that in the short term. In the midterm, you know, I still think we need to get over uh, you know, whatever 50k or, or the trillion dollar threshold um, that that gives the capital on the sidelines kind of that confirmation. Um, and then, for like from an on-chain perspective, I've talked about like some of my my top and bottom price models. Um, the, the kind of bull market uh, threshold that I'm looking at is right around 60K. So if we did get up there, it'd probably line up right around when we would theoretically break all-time highs because it's slowly trending up. Uh, but if we were to get over that, then I would, I would be targeting, you know, whatever the, the next uh, part of the model is. I think it's like a 95, 95K. Uh, so, yeah, in, in the short term, though, like uh, watching some of those things we touched on earlier, um, you know, it, it's – with, with this data, you kind of just have to take it day to day and watch how it's coming in. Um, it, it's, you know, once again, uh, kind of hard to, to predict several months out, but I think just anecdotally hearing some of these things from, from people that I know who have some, you know, connections in the space and, and the capital that's supposedly coming in towards, towards the latter half of the year and just kind of the seasonality of Bitcoin. Uh, I think, I think we're uh, still kind of set up for, for war upside here. Um, you know, something we've touched on many times, the broader metrics uh, just really, never really reached any kind of overheated uh, you know, euphoric zone. Um, kind of resembles a lot of stuff in 2013 where you kind of ran up about halfway and then came back down and and then went up and reached those uh, kind of euphoric, uh, you know, blow off top levels uh, in some of these macro metrics. So watching some of those things. Um, also, one other thing we didn't touch on, which is just kind of a side note. Uh, the the percentage of, of futures that are margined by uh, by stable coins versus uh, Bitcoin. So like this has been an interesting trend that you've seen since May nineteenth, where now you're seeing a lot of traders preferring to use uh, stable coins as as margin instead of Bitcoin, which kind of makes sense because um, a lot of traders got wrecked on May nineteenth, and it seems like now they're they're being a bit more cautious. Um, you know, if you just think about it, right? Like if you're margin with Bitcoin and the price starts going up. Well, not only is is the price of the asset that you're that you're betting on going up, but also the margin, right? So, like if if you're betting that Bitcoin's going to go up, you're long Bitcoin and your margin with Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin's price is going up, so your P and L is going up, but also the margin of that position is going up. So it creates kind of this reflexivity up, uh, but then also on the way back down, um, you know, it, it can be bad because your your collateral is going down in value and I mean in tandem with your with your PL. So it can kind of create this convexity on the way down and kind of accelerate uh moves down. And, and that's kind of I suspect played a role in, in that drawdown that we had in, in uh early May. So the the good part of seeing uh you know these stablecoin margin futures is is in theory um they're more susceptible to getting squeezed, shorts are more susceptible to getting squeezed because right like if you're short and you're margin with Bitcoin and the price starts to go up, yeah, like the trade is going against you, but also your collateral is increasing, right? Because you're because your margin with Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin is going up. So the fact that they're that their margin with with stable coins uh, takes away that kind of like double dipping you get, where if you're short, uh, you know, and the trade starts to go against you, you're still, uh, you know. It, you're still benefiting partially because your collateral is going up. So you're not as, as uh, suspected to getting squeezed. Um, so yeah, like I think I've seen, I think seeing like an increase in stablecoin margin futures 
um, is is somewhat bullish in, in theory because you have people that are, are more susceptible to getting squeezed than normal, if that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. And I, I think this all goes back to like the on-chain metrics don't lie. And also what's really fascinating is you saw some metrics change, but you actually waited a couple of days to um, understand how they were going to play out. And so it's not something that you can necessarily trade on immediately because you could get faked out by um, kind of the real-time nature of it. But if you understand the right cadence of how to internalize this stuff, synthesize it, uh, allow for enough time to really have confirmation in a trend change or not, then you're able to apply this stuff and understand where we are in cycles, both in the short and uh, long term yeah 100 percent. like if, if you're using like exchange flows and you're tracking that intraday like you're gonna drive yourself crazy well you know the heuristics they're not perfect right so sometimes it takes a few days for, for them to update and um you know i think if you're using this stuff on like some kind of like you're day trading off of it i mean you're just kind of setting yourself up to get wrecked uh like you just said it, it's it's best used you know over a you know week to two week kind of time frame um, and, and, you know, especially with the exchange balance stuff and some of the, some of the entity labeling, um, you need to wait at least a few days to, to kind of wait for that stuff to update and also see if it's a trend. Um, cause you can drive yourself crazy one day, you know, the exchange balances go down the next day it updates and it's up. So that's like, you need to wait at least towards the end of the week, you know, to see, is there a trend? Like, you know, when, when I send it, when I sent out the letter Tuesday, that exchange flows were in, were increasing, that was like a week long trend that they had been moving up. So I felt confident in, in putting that out, but you know, like this, this uptick, I mean, this downtick in exchange balances um, from Coinbase yesterday, um, I'm still not fully confident in that. And that's why I'm like a little bit hesitant to be bullish. Although like the data in itself, like the downtick in exchange flows and the uptick in liquid supply ratio, that is bullish, but I'm waiting a day or two, like, you know, to kind of see if those heuristics kind of filter some of that out. But, uh, but yeah, like definitely needs to be used in cadence, like you said. Got it. Uh, when you start to think about uh, this weekend, forget Bitcoin for a second. We are we are we partying this weekend? What what's going on with uh, school? Yeah, bro, it's it's syllabus week, so no one no one's been doing any school stuff this week. I'm sure everybody's uh, ready to have some fun, but uh, stay safe out there. Hopefully, nobody uh, gets COVID. But uh, you know, aside from that, I'm I'm ready to have some fun this weekend. Let's go. Will, go. Will back in college. I love it. I love it, man. All right. Listen, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, what is Twitter? Where do we want to send people? And then they can find the newsletter uh, in your Twitter bio. Yeah, sure. Thanks for plugging me in as always, man. Um, I'm on Twitter at WClementi. I'm at 199.1. So if you guys could pump me over 200. This Ooh, weekend, wait, 200. wait, 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 wait. You're, at, you're right now at 199? Yeah. Oh, hold on a second. Hold <laughs> yeah. on, hold on, hold on. You got to get me right, Bob. This is what we're going to do right now. Ready? So I just put in the chat, everyone, his Twitter account. Go follow him. And then let's do this. Ready? I'm going to... Man, I can't believe I just got tricked into doing this, but are you ready? The young on-chain wizard, Will Clemente, is at 199... Thousand followers. Bet you all can't push him over 200K before the end of the day. Let's see, is this going to work? Go follow at Will Clemente. All right, let's see. I just tweeted it. I didn't even spell check or anything. So if I spelled anything wrong, whatever. Appreciate you, man. Let's see what happens. 
Well, if you get to 200K, then the next stop is a million. So perfect. You'll be ready to rock and go. roll. Um, all right. There's one thing you taught me, Pop, that's to, to think big. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, man. You're doing a great job. All right. We will, uh, we'll see if we can get you over 200K before the end of the day. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. We will uh, we'll see you on uh, next Friday. Don't have too much fun this weekend. Yes, sir. I'll do my best. And you guys take it easy. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. All right. See you, buddy. See you guys. Cheers.